I appreciate Larry preaching last Sunday. I, I listened to it on um, Tuscaloosa First Assembly podcast. If you have a podcast app, you can go to that. Thanks to Shane, he set all this up. And you can subscribe to it, and it'll pop up on your phone or your uh, iPad. And I uh, hope you got those grave clothes off Amen. from last Sunday. I, I wanted to take any grave clothes off I had as well when I listened to it. And Doug Blakeney preached a powerful message. I got to listen to that, too, from Wednesday night. Now, we, we might ought to announce to you that we do have a Wednesday night service here. And uh, we have... We have really good preaching on Wednesday night. It's one of my favorite services to be in. And Doug preached strength in weakness, a great message. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm, listening, I'm listening to you guys preach. I, I told Brenda, I played, Brenda listened to it as we was driving from the airport back to Tuscaloosa. Um, she listened to Larry's message and uh, the whole thing while I was going down the road. And I said, now listen, here, here's, here's Doug's preaching. And I said, if I could only have Doug's voice. What a great preaching voice. I don't have a good preaching voice. But Doug, I love your voice. I love to hear these guys preach. And, uh, and, and I know when Doug was preaching, evangelizing, we have him here. Our people love for Doug Blayton to come back and preach. I am very blessed to have guys like that. And... Uh, Jeff preaches some. Paul Burdine preaches some. We just got some. And uh, Guillermo's preached some. Nora's preached some. Anybody want to preach? We got preachers everywhere here. Um, but it, it's really good to be back. We had a wonderful time in Colorado. I'll just say a few things before we get into the message. It's going to be from Matthew 24 if you want to find that. Colorado is a great place. It's a beautiful place. But it wore us out. If it wasn't Colorado, it was a five-year-old and a three-year-old that wore us completely out. But it's a good fatigue. We love our son-in-law, Sean, our two darling grandchildren, five and three. And, uh, you know, we try to teach kids not to use profanity, and they try to teach us not to use profanity because the word nap is a profane word to them. It's like a curse word. You say nap, and they go crazy. But uh, we have our method, <laughs> and and it's and I will tell you, I've never spanked any of my grandchildren because I don't think that's my role. But they don't know that I wouldn't spank them, and that works just as well sometimes. But uh, it's good to be back, and uh, I want to share some things with with you from God's Word. We really need the Word of the Lord today. We need a word from God. We need God's word like never before. And uh, that's where we're going this morning. It's from Matthew 24. And before I uh, read any of Matthew 24, I'm going to uh, introduce a slide to you. And uh, I'm going to tell you about the title to this morning's message. Um, you may have seen this on a church sign or on a T-shirt. You've seen this before? No Jesus, no peace. No, Jesus, you know, negative, no negative peace. But that's not the title of my message. I just wanted you to see that. Hey, have you noticed that it's off-centered? And there's a reason. Because 
they pounded so much on our roof, replacing the shingles, they vibrated our projector off. So we're going to get Ray Megs and some guys to get up on scaffolding. <laughs> well, we have a new youth pastor we can sacrifice. <laughs> and, we'll, we'll, and he's not afraid of heights at all. We'll just put him on the scaffolding. Uh, but the next slide is my message title today. And because really th I believe this is more true than the other. Because peace is a byproduct of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this statement here is a statement that we need to pay attention to. If you know Jesus, you know truth because he said, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. So if you know, he, he is the epitome of truth. We're going to go to Revelation a little bit, just making references. But I love Revelation 19, where Jesus comes down out of the heavens on a white horse. Eyes are blazing with fire. What a picture. And on him is the name, faithful and true. And he's known by being the one of truth. But if you don't know Jesus, you're a candidate for deception. Because truth is the greatest deterrent to being deceived. And let's go to Matthew 24. I'm not going to read all of it, but you know right at the front... The disciples are all impressed with Herod's temple. It is the centerpiece of Jerusalem. And they talk to Jesus about how beautiful it is and all this. And Jesus tells them, well, not many days ahead, all of that's going to be wiped out. That beautiful, ornate temple where sacrifices unto God are done every day, that's all going to be torn down. Not a stone's going to be left upon another. And when they were privately apart, the disciples had a three-pronged question. When's that going to happen? When is that going to be destroyed? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the world? The rest of the chapter is Jesus answering that three-pronged question. When you look at verse 6 or verse 4, the first thing that Jesus says to them in response to that question is, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you because many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now, Jesus is within days of his own arrest the torture, and his execution by crucifixion. He's within days, and he's warning his disciples. How I many of you know if you've got just a few days to live, you're going to talk about the most important things that you need to talk about? And he's telling them, he's warning them, watch, because in your time after I'm gone, you're going to be subject to people who's going to deceive a lot of people. You look at what he said at the end of that verse, at the end of that statement. He says, and they will deceive many. Not they may or might. 
but they will deceive not a few, but many people. And he proceeds to tell them after that the state of society and the framework that there will be unrest, there will be international distress by wars and factions. Now, we don't know how, what that looks like, right? Nation fighting nations. And then there's going to be cataclysmic disasters, famines and earthquakes in many places. Things that we have all of our ingenuity and all of our capabilities of doing things, there's just some things that mortal man has no control over. Weather patterns, tornadoes, earthquakes, all these things, and there's going to be multiplied death upon the earth. In verse 6, he accounts all of this, famines and earthquakes, earthquakes in verse 7. And then he says, I think this is in verse 8, that this is just the beginning of birth pains, right? Is it in verse 8? This, notice this. He said, this is not the arrival of the worst, but this is just the beginnings of labor pains of this nature. In other words, this is not even near the arrival of the worst of things. And he goes on to say, because you are attached to me, you're going to be subject to grave persecutions. In verse 10, he says, At that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Isn't that interesting that there's pressure from the outside by persecutors? He says, you be ready, you're going to be, you're going to be facing great persecution. But inside the church, he said, there's going to be a falling away and there's going to be a turning on each other. That people are going to depart from the faith, they'll betray, they'll hate each other, they'll displace the love and the fellowship they should have, and they'll be divided. In verse 11, for many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, Jesus jumps next to something that Daniel prophesied four to five centuries earlier. And this is in verse 15. He says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation. You know, you can't read Matthew 24 without Daniel, without the revelation that John recorded at the end of the Bible. But he says to these disciples, this is all in that one setting where he's privately talking to them about not being deceived and what's coming. He says... There's going to, when you see standing in the place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken about Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand. In other words, let's pause and consider this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to their, get, get their coat, their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. It'll be a horrific time for those who have little ones. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world. No matter how bad you think things are now, it doesn't even come close to what's going to happen. And he's telling them this, that this is unlike and never to be equaled again. And if those days, verse 22 ought to create a little bit of a shudder in us. If those days has not, had not been cut short, no one 
would survive. Well, that's an awesome statement. No matter how strong their faith is, if, if the Lord doesn't stop that, no one would survive it. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. It will be so bad that if God doesn't shorten that situation, that period of time, no one would survive. But get this, God's always had a remnant. He's always had a group of people, and he's always rescued them. He's always kept them by his mighty power. In verse 23, now the, first, the next two verses where we're going to really focus, especially verse 24. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and will perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, read, let me read that to you again, verse 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform, watch this, great signs and wonders to deceive. These are deceiving signs and wonders, if possible, even the elect, the people of God. He says, see, I've told you this ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out there. Or here he is, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even to the west. And this is one of the first mentions that he does, he, he gives about his coming. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now look at those words. False messiahs and false prophets. But in the language that the Bible was written in, those are just one words. And the next slide you're going to see is what you, you're seeing here, what Matthew wrote. This is verse 24 up above this. And one of the things that's neat about getting a little bit of Greek is that you recognize what sororities and fraternities are. They use capital, the caps in Greek. But this is what Matthew wrote. I know this is probably hard for some of us to think that Jesus, but Jesus did not speak English. And he did not speak with a southern draw. He did not say, y'all come to me and I will give you rest. Now he didn't talk. If we stood on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and if we could put ourselves there when he was preaching, we would all need someone to stand there and interpret what he was saying. And this is what Matthew wrote out. Now, I've, I've enlarged two words here that are, in, that are prominent, and you can, sit, you can spot them in the verse. The first word is the verb, but the, these are just kind of like, uh, it, it identifies what kind of word, whether it's a noun, verb, or conjunction, or conditional. But you see... Pseudo Christos up at the top, and right behind it, Kai is the word and, and pseudo prophetai, which is the plural prophetess, which is prophets in plural. Now I want to take you to the next slide, and this is the English rendering of those two words. Pseudo Christos, Christos is the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah means to rub with oil. 
And so Jesus is the anointed one of God. That's what Messiah means. He is the anointed one. That's why Hebrew Christians, the Jewish Christians, call him Yahshua HaMashiach, Jesus the, the Messiah, the anointed one. Christos means, Creo comes from the word to anoint with oil. Christos is the one who's anointed in the Greek. So it's pseudo-Christos, pseudo-prophetes, which is prophet, one who foretells. Now, what does pseudo mean? False, False fake. Um, Webster says, not real or genuine, a sham or a fake. You can take it off the board now. But I love, the, I, I love doing this stuff. I love having a computer. It is so neat. The etymology of pseudo, it does come from the Greek word pseudo. It's up here. Here's what the etymology dictionary defines this. Forming element meaning false, feigned, erroneous, in appearance only, resembling um, false, lying, falsely deceived, falsehood, untrue, a lie to deceive or cheat by lies. Those are false messiahs, cheating messiahs, lying messiahs. And Jesus is warning his disciples that they could be a challenge to you. They could maybe bring deception to you. You need to be on high alert when false prophets and false messiahs come along. Here's the thing about deception. And the deceiver is Satan. Satan is the original rebel. Everything, think about this, everything the devil does, he tries to counterfeit the things of God. I was listening to a, a professor at a Bible college in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Who knows where that's at? Great. There's a, it's Ochita or something like Bible college. J. Scott Duvall is a professor there, and he was being interviewed by Beeson Seminary on the phone. It was, it's not the best recording, but he's written a, a, a review of the book of Revelation. And it's kind of interesting. He said this. Everything that is of God, the devil tries to duplicate it. And even in the Revelation, there is an unholy trinity that's involved. The dragon and the two beasts. The dragon, of course, is Satan. The first beast is the Antichrist. And who's that second beast? False prophet. How about that? And they are the unholy trinity the dark trinity that's in the book of Revelation. Everything the enemy has tried to do, he's tried to make it as though he's God. You think about the first sin in the garden with Adam and Eve. Two things happen in the serpent's conversation with Eve. Number one, he had to get her to question what God had said to her. As soon as he made her stop, and wonder why God told her and Adam not to eat from that tree. She was in trouble. Because the word of the Lord and the direction that God gave them was no longer prominent in her mind. What became prominent in her mind is when she looked at the tree, it looked desirable. And then... The enemy told her, God really didn't mean that. 
You, you won't die. He just don't want you to know what he knows. He's keeping something from you. And this is the enemy doing this. You think about, you know, I, I, I was practicing, I practiced my sermon a little bit on Carolyn every morning because her and Shane gets here. And I told her I was going to talk about her this morning. So I said, Carolyn, Caroline, here's the last part of a verse. I want you to tell me the first part of it. And the truth will set you free. Well, I don't know that. I said, come on. And the truth will set you free. So I pulled up John 8, 32 for her, and she read it. I said, now here's the question. Does truth set you free? Not unless you know it. He didn't say, and the truth will set you free. He said this, and you will know if you could abide, if you stay with my words, what I said to you, you will know the truth. And in knowing the truth, it sets you free. The greatest deterrent to being deceived is knowing the truth. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Oh, well, are there false prophets out there today? False messiahs, Jesus said there is. And the best way to combat it is to know the truth. If you know Jesus, you know the truth. And if we don't know the truth, we're open for deception. Remember, Jesus at the start of his ministry did this long teaching session on, on the mount. It's called Sermon on the Mount. And he said this about false prophets. False prophets will come to you in... Sheep's clothing. They will look like us, but they won't act like us because you will know them by their fruit. It is time for us to know the Word of God. I recently uh, heard, a, heard a sermon, and it was hard for me to listen because it was filled with inaccuracies. The, the, the speaker was writing things into the events of Genesis and Exodus and Ezekiel that wasn't there. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And it was because the speaker wanted to draw a connection to the day of Pentecost from Genesis, Exodus, and Ezekiel so bad, I'll just, that day made stuff up. Now, that's hard for me to listen to. Now, I don't believe that person is a false prophet, but everybody sitting there, if they didn't turn to those passages and read what really happened, they think what she said was true. And this is why you need to keep your Bible open when you come here. I had someone, I saw something on social media. I'll just put it this way. Social media that was, when, when I looked at the video, you know, when you just look at it, you don't hear the sound. But when I looked at it, I said, oh, Charles, you're not going to like doing that. You're not going to like clicking on that. But I did it anyway. And it was a sermon about taters. Taters. Taters, T-A-T-E-R-S. 
dictators, about staying away from dictators and imitators. Oh. If you ever hear me preach something like that, throw a songbook at me. I thought, you waste people's time when the Word of God, you can't find something in God's Word more than that? That you have to get people yelling and hollering and clapping and over nothing. How deceived people can be. We need to know this book. False prophets are out there. Early in our pastoral ministry, I did a wedding for a young couple and... and uh, Wayne and Twyla, it was so far back you could never research who that is. We was there for the arrival of the first child. They came and saw me, and this was like maybe 40 years ago, close to it. And they had, they had a pressure deal going on, and it was around finances. I know none of you know the pressure of finances. They were under financial stress, and he discovered that she was secretly sending offerings to a television evangelist as seed faith to get a hundredfold back. Her $25 was supposed to get her $250 or $2,500 or $25,000. And here they sat in my office with this ridiculous idea and she thinks her husband doesn't have faith because he would believe with her. And she believes this is the way they're going to get out of their financial trouble. Let me tell you what God gave me to share with them. Because it, like, it was like this. And I needed a whistle. You know, well, time out. Let's take an intermission here. And I said to her, I said, Twyla, you really believe this? She said, yes. I said, do you believe that the preacher on television believes that? She said, yes. I said, so what I want you to do is write a letter to him. You tell him what you and Wayne's financial need is and that if he'll send you a check for that, God will give him a hundredfold. And y'all just put a pause on sending him anything else until you get that check back. How's that? Okay. Well, check didn't arrive. That's false prophets. That's a false idea. There's no place in the Bible. He said, well, the sower, the sower see, sows the word of God. It's not about money. Well, what about Luke where it says, given it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, run over. I believe that. But nobody can take that and the parable of the sower and tell you, you send them $50 and you're going to get $50,000. That is not in the Bible. But here we are. This is why it matters to us. If you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. Now, I'm almost finished. It's 12 o'clock. Hallelujah. I was standing at the tellers, at the bank tellers counter there, 
And she took this pen and she marked across some currency. And I've seen, have you seen that happen? And, and sometimes they'll do it at a store. So I decided to just ask her, what, what is that supposed to do? What, how does that work? And she kind of explained it in a very concise terms, which I didn't understand. But she marked it with that pen. And when you Google, that's a new word, it's a brand new word, counterfeit money, all these links will come up. And one of them is eight best ways to spot counterfeit money, which probably none of us are worried about that, are graphic, graphics of fake money. But the Secret Service has a link saying this, know your money. If you know your money, in other words, if you know what an authentic $20 bill is, you'll be able to spot what a fake is. And a person in the bank can almost look at it or feel, and it's, they can feel if, if they're that familiar with currency. Most of us are not familiar with currency. We don't look at it and inspect it and says, oh, his face, something's wrong with his portrait. Or oh, that seal looks different. How, how many of you have pulled out a twin dollar Oh, this doesn't look right. But how many of you know a bank teller, it's important <laughs> for them to spot it? Now, here's the thing. There's even stories that the pen did not work on some counterfeit money. And I thought about that. I think sometimes we try to use a shortcut to verify whether something's true or not without examining it by what we know. In other words, listen, a feeling you get. You feel something. Remember, the Antichrist, the false prophet, false prophets today, false messiahs, will deceive people if they're not careful. By lying wonders. I'm going to take you one more place, and this is the last passage. 2 Thessalonians 2. Great, great passage of Scripture to uh, lay next to Matthew 24 and, and the Revelation. I've had people tell me, you know, I don't really get the Revelation. Do you know it's the only book in the Bible that promises you a blessing if you read it? My dad used to say that to me. My dad was a great lover of the Revelation. I've always had Clarence Larkin. I read everything, you know, probably the Ken back there. <laughs> Clarence Larkin's, the John G. Hall. There's, you know, I just love prophecy. And you cannot read Daniel, Matthew 24, and the Revelation, and 2 Thessalonians 2 without getting a bigger picture. Nobody knows everything about it. There's, there's mysteries about it. But listen to these words. Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this was the topic of Matthew 24, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. How does that sound? For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, which is the Antichrist, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God 
are his worship so that he sets himself up as God's, in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is the abomination of desolation, by the way. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Some people say that's the Holy Spirit or that's the church, the Spirit-filled church, until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power and through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. Now, stop right there. It doesn't matter whether you take a, a tattoo on your hand, 666, or not. It matters that you resist deception. Because there's people in this room that probably say, if I miss the rapture of the church, I will not take the mark of the beast. This verse right here tells us you will do exactly that. Because if you hedge your decision on surrendering your life to Jesus and you miss the rapture of the church, God, in response to you rejecting the truth, is going to send you a strong delusion and you will believe the Antichrist. You can make all the promises you want to yourself. I will never take the mark of the beast because you didn't choose the Lord when you heard about him. I mean, this is, you know, probably some of you have heard me mention this on Wednesday nights. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. If you're reading out of the King James, it says lying wonders, teros, miracles. But guess what the word lying is? Brandon, if you can come to the instruments, praise team. What do you think lying is? Have you seen the word before? Pseudos. Fake miracles. Sham miracles. Let me tell you this. Paul said this to, I think, the Corinthian church. He said, if me or someone else preaches anything other than what you've already been given, let that person, whether it's me or them, be accursed. He said, even if an angel, even if an angel appeared to you to tell you something different from this book, don't accept it. Miracles are not the authenticity of truth. Because Satan can use magic, can use a deceptive, looks like a miracle. Do you realize that the North Korean dictator, actually, they testify in classrooms that he healed people. And they get 
the children to worship the dictator. Masquerades as a Messiah. They have testimonies that they play. He healed me. The dictator of Korea. This lets you know how strong deception is. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Would you stand with me this morning? There was... On It Is Well, I want to... I was going to say something about the, this first song we did. Even though all through it, my eyes are on you. When you don't see God, when you don't see God, when you don't see with your eyes what you want to see, here's the word of the Lord. Trust Him anyway. Trust the word. Don't trust what you see. Don't trust what you feel. Listen. We ought to come into this building whether we feel good, whether we feel happy, whether we feel sad. And we ought to do one thing. We ought to worship God. Because He is worthy in spite of what we feel. What is the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism. Yes, that's a high church catechism. And I'm a, I'm a weird person. I like to read stuff like that. But the first question is what is the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism is all in questions. The answer is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Lord wants you to trust Him no matter what you're seeing, no matter what, what is filtering in through your mind. And if, you're, and if you're battling a battle of faith, I want to pray for you. I'm going to, I want you to know the truth. As a pastor, I want you to know the truth. I come to this every time I come here with trepidation, with fear and trembling, because you're listening to me, and I'm supposed to be telling you the truth. And it is a frightening thing to preach, isn't it, Jeff? <laughs> you know, because are you, are you nervous? I get nervous every time I step up here. But what I'm saying to you Everything I want to say to you is out of this book. It's not my opinion. I have opinions. And when I have a perspective, I'll tell you, this is how I see this. But there's things in this book that you don't need someone else to interpret for you. It interprets itself. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. If you haven't fully surrendered your life to him today, you are walking a dangerous path path. And he said, are you trying to scare me? Yes, I am. But I'm scaring you with the truth that according to this book, every person in the United States and any place that have heard the gospel and walked away from it, 2 Thessalonians says, if you miss the rapture, you're done. He said, well, there's people going to be saved during the tribulation. Because 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be turned loose on this planet for about three years. And they're going to go all over this world to people who have never heard the gospel. And there's going to be people saved. But those people who have heard the truth and rejected it, they're in great trouble. 